We were the first, and we will be the last. From Morgan James Fiction comes the exciting new historical fantasy Orope, the White Snake, by Guinevere Lee. The whispers of the gods have seen the vision, the gods destroying the world in a flood because the old ways have been corrupted and forgotten. Three are chosen, Tersh, Kareth, and Shadi, to go out and warn the world. The gods must be appeased. In Orope, the White Snake, Tersh must leave her children and travel to Matawe, the kingdom in the mountains. She also must care for Kareth and keep him out of trouble. Kareth, told since birth that he is destined for greatness, has been expecting this moment. Certain that he is ready, he quickly discovers that his confidence and curiosity have a tendency to lead him into dangerous situations. Shadi finds himself traveling alone to find the people of the jungle, the Petsahalpa, the jungle seems like a paradise until he discovers the darker rituals practiced within. Samaki is a merchant who returns to Mahat to find his home destroyed, his father dead, and no one to buy his expensive cargo. With his first mate, Tuhark, the merchant struggles to move forward after his entire world has been upended. The stories of these four travelers intersect and entwine with each other as they move towards their destinations. Guided by visions, the Whispers must use their wits to survive in these strange new lands that would rather use them as political pawns than listen to their warnings. Available in paperback, digital, and audio wherever books are sold. To learn more about Guinevere Lee and her writing, visit GuinevereLee.com. G-U-E-N-E-V-E-R-E-L-E-E.com. And thank you for listening. Music provided by Bensound.com. Welcome to Historical Fantasy. I'm going to... Ooh, I, you can hear all this creaking stuff. Let's try that again. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Historical Fantasy. I'm Guinevere Lee, and with me as always... Noel Sayar. All right. So as you heard at the beginning of the show, there was an ad for my first published novel, Orope, the White Snake. That novel, it is a fantasy, but it is inspired by real history and real mythology. While the last five episodes we were solely focusing on Japanese history as a complimentary podcast to learn about the history and the mythology that went into my story, Lita and the Samurai, which you can still read at chinillo.com. But since that story had a brief hiatus, the next chapter will be up next week, so don't worry about that. I thought that we could take this opportunity to talk about Orope and some Bronze Age history that went into writing it. So today we are talking about Bronze Age instead of Japan history. Yeah, and just to change the format even more, Noel is basically going to be asking me some questions that he had after reading Orope the White Snake. This podcast today is kind of like a sneak peek. I guess we're just going over parts of real history that inspired it. But we're not giving away too much. Yes. <laughs> it's just to whet your appetites. So in Orope appear different kingdoms that was based in real anthropologies, right? Yeah, the kingdoms are based off of real kingdoms. Some of them are based off of multiple cultures that I sort of squished into one thing. Yeah, well, of course, it is like a fantasy novel, so it yeah. is not exactly like the kingdom, but... They, like, drink for, like, the real history and real mythologies. Yeah, Orope is, like, the quilt that came from all the different history books I've ever read and all the myths I've ever heard. And I just took the best bits and <laughs> put them where I thought they worked 
So probably from like three kingdoms, one have a little bit more presence in the first book, that is Mahat, that is based in ancient Egypt. Talk a little bit about that. Why did you choose Egypt for inspire this kingdom? Why did I choose Egypt? Because probably, I mean, besides the fact that I was obsessed with ancient Egypt from a very young age and just... I thought the things that they managed to do were astonishing, especially since I don't believe aliens did it. I believe, <laughs> I believe this was a group of humans who got together and built these pyramids and monuments, and it was always very impressive. But I also think ancient Egypt is just the pinnacle society of the Bronze Age. I, it's hard to even compete with them with modern-day societies. They lasted for over 3,000 years. So... They're pretty impressive, and I felt like if I was going to write a story that was set in the Bronze Age, I needed to have that equivalent. There had to be that one society that was just sort of shining above all the others. So that's where Mahat came from. I think Egypt's really covered very extend like a period of time. In which period of Egypt do you more drink for your history? The general idea was to write about the end of the Bronze Age, which was around 1250 BCE. It's like a three periods, the three main periods of the... Um... Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the part of the Middle Kingdom. Oh, it's the Middle Kingdom. Yeah. And it lasted from the years... <laughs> No, I I don't taking care about this. Well, anyway, it, 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 it is more about like a, it is like a thing is called like a early, medium, and late something like that. Yeah, it was remember. in the the Middle Kingdom, which again it was around twelve fifty BCE. You know, before when I said this is just a quilt where I've taken little bits and pieces, I I wouldn't worry too much about the timelines because my timeline is not meant to match up exactly right with the real Bronze Age timeline. No, and especially like in the early and in the middle like periods, they start to have a lot of focus in the construction of like the big monuments. Which of them? Just like the pyramids? Well, the pyramids came way before this, uh, yeah. way before 1250 BC. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Great Pyramid was built around Yeah, 2560 BCE. Yeah. So that's already over a thousand years before the Bronze Age even mm -hmm. ended. And mind you, when the Bronze Age ended, Egypt continued on. It didn't just disappear overnight, but that was the beginning of the decline. It is when they stopped to be like in the pinnacle of the power of the yeah. civilization. Basically, after that, they just started losing little bits and pieces of their territories. And also was like a conqueror for different kingdoms. That they, came a bit later, but yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Alexander the Great wasn't yeah. until 300 BC. So there was a good thousand years before he showed up. It's like a 1,000 years of like a decline before yeah. like the Hellenistic period. Yeah, exactly. Let me see. In the book, or at least like in the first book, don't put too much attention to the construction or these big monuments. I don't know if it's something that will appear later in the saga. You know... One of the great mysteries of Egypt is, of course, how did they build the pyramids? And I don't mean how could humans possibly have done that. It must have been aliens. But, I mean, we don't have very good records of how they constructed things. So it's more just a, a general curiosity. 
there's a lot of theories, and most of them are pretty credible. And for sure, that is something that I would want to include in my book. (laughs) That's one of those things where you can really play around with it. Ancient history, (laughs) especially when you're taking a look at it from a literary perspective, it's basically just clay. You can really make it look like however you want. You just squish it here and carve it there. And yeah, especially because it is not like a record from the, the area. They only like to take small pieces of the history and then like fill the gaps with deductions, with experience from another historical event. So as you say, it is a little bit subjective. Like oh, a no, the, very subjective. Like a the, So when you were reading the book, was there any moment about some culture or some part of the cities that they were visiting that made you think like, oh, I would like to know more about this? I am just more curious about the political system, how they work, especially in like the ancient culture, it is very common that they have caste. In some of them have slavery, in some of them have like middle point of slavery, they have, for example, the Roman, they have the Libertos. They are not slaves, but native citizens. Th- right, the Freemen. Yes, exactly. When do you know all of this, like a structure of the government? I think, from my point of view, be more easy to picture the city and picture the characters. Because when they know like uh, the kind of rights they have or they not, the things that happen in the city have a global context that, in my opinion, helps you to put yourself inside the city for live it more. I would say about 1% of the research that I did on the Bronze Age actually ended up in the first book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a lot of that has to do with the fact that you don't want to have 10 pages describing the political system. So... I, I, I know that you must find an equilibrium between yeah. like a, the history and like a documentary. So I, I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, as I get to write more books, I'll get to show how the governments work a lot more. But, um, yeah, but I like as soon like a more like a chapter of the saga, like a start be like a outside, you'll be able to picture better. But the great thing about the Bronze Age is that, well, they did have a very simple monarchy system at the very least. So you always had, you know, the king or the whatever who was in charge and then everything would just branch off from that. Normally it used to be like a, the medium the medium layer, the more interesting. Yeah, I always liked the it's, servants, really. Especially like, a, for example, like the, the religious caste. Independent the culture can have sometimes a lot of power and create just like a kind of like a second layer of government. Mm-hmm. Because in some monarchies, they just like a, the figure of the king or emperor or pharaoh represent the god. So like a, the, um, the, the clerics, cleric? clerics, yeah, the cleric caste spread from him. But in other religions, like uh, the gods, they are aside of the king. Mm. So technically, they they create like uh, two heads of governments, like uh, the world governments, that is the king, and like uh, the celestial governments. And sometimes it is just they overlap like uh, the functions and the authorities. 
and how they manage that. It used to be very interesting how, how the different cultures do that. Yeah, to me, that's a very medieval setup that you have the head of state yeah. and then you have the head of church. Whereas in most Bronze Age cultures that I studied, it was very much one and the same. Most people, like most monarchs, they held their power because they claimed to be direct descendants of the gods. And they were in themselves the head of, well, not the church, but, yeah. you know, they had a close connection to the gods. They were gods, well, essentially. Yeah. They be leg legitimated by the gods, but especially like in the middle, like a period of yeah. Egypt, like the, well, the, the temple of Amon started to become really, really powerful. Yes, this was my next point. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the, the really interesting thing, well... Perhaps the most interesting period in Egypt came about because the temple started to get too powerful. The pharaoh at the time, Akhenaten, he decided... Well, I don't think he decided. I think there might have been some genuine belief on his part. But basically, he decreed that there would only be one god worshipped from that point on, which was literally the sun <laughs> and it was called the Aten and he moved his entire family and basically you know a hundred thousand people <laughs> he moved the capital into the middle of the desert and built this new city which was abandoned like 10 years later <laughs> uh, nobody really knows what happened it, it was either it was plague Or as soon as he died, people were like, well, we're done with this weird one-god religion. And that's his no reason for half like a city in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. With no resources. <laughs> yeah, basically. It wasn't good city planning. And I think one of the reasons why we know so much about this period is because that city was almost immediately dismantled and its parts were used to build other buildings yeah. and so it was as we were dismantling those buildings i say we i'm not an archaeologist but as well, people were looking at like these, a contemporary people yeah they like started us. to <laughs> find the remains of this city yeah. if people are listening to me tell this story and they go to read Orope after this they might recognize this story as it does It was one of the inspirations for the background of one of the cities that is visited in Orope. Although that city in my book wasn't dismantled, it was just sort of remade in the image of the conquering people. Probably in the next like a uh, Bronze Age area podcast, we just like uh, taught the other bronze cultures that influence like uh, the book. Yeah, so if anything that we talked about today piqued your interest, you should definitely check out Arope the White Snake. And the next episode, we'll have a proper episode. We're going to be talking about Japanese weaponry. So that's going to be fun. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. Yes. See you. Bye. You don't question why you're running through a forest of bamboo. You don't give yourself time to think. You run. You scream. You cry. You run and run and run. And you hope the man chasing you with a bow and arrow doesn't kill you. Lita and the Samurai is a tale of a modern girl in ancient Japan. Only available on Chanilo.com. That's 
C-H-A-N-N-I-L-L-O.com. Lita, a young woman who moved to Japan to escape her abusive family, is slowly adjusting to her new life. She's learning Japanese, making friends, and enjoying the summer festivals. On the day of the famous Tanabata Festival, she finds a small shrine, but when she steps out of the shrine, she steps into Edo-era Japan. Trapped 400 years in Japan's past, what follows is half fantasy, half historical fiction. Is her coming here an accident? Or does it have something to do with the sudden appearance of European ships off the coast? Lita must discover how she ended up in this situation and how she can get back home, or if she even wants to go back. Lita and the Samurai updates bi-weekly on Mondays. You can read the first chapter for free on chanillo.com. Once again, that's C-H-A-N-N-I-L-L-O.com.